The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Can everybody hear me out there? Yeah, I got some thumbs up from the back row. <laughs> Technically the back row. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be seen by you. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And Psalm 118, the psalmist says this, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, God has given us this moment of respite. He's given us this. It doesn't get any better than what we're sitting in right now this morning for the Quad Cities. This literally happens for one hour a year and you're in it, okay? And so just let's enjoy it. Now it might feel strange to enjoy the weather and to think about rejoicing because when we look at our world and we look at our country, we see a lot of brokenness. We see a lot of injustice that still remains, a lot of racism, a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, a lot of animosity, a lot of rage. And so who are we to enjoy this moment, right? Well, listen, in the midst of the bad news that all that is out there, we need to still rejoice and enjoy the good news. Let's not forget this morning that our Savior died, right? Our Savior knows what it feels like to have somebody's knee on the back of his neck. He knows what it feels like to be asphyxiated. He knows what it feels like to be hanging and open in front of everyone and no one coming to his rescue. Our Savior knows what that feels like. And you know what? The heavens rage against it. The saints in heaven right now, the book of Revelation say that they're begging God to pour out his wrath and come back and avenge those who've been killed unjustly. We read that in the book of Revelation. And you know what they're also doing? They're rejoicing that he's going to do it one day. And our job, it's very difficult. It's very difficult right now. Our job is to hear the songs of heaven and dance to them now. That's our job. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to say, 
Injustice is out there and we need to be doing everything we can to push back against it and fight against it. And we also need to know with certainty that we are not the ones that are gonna make everything right. Jesus Christ is. And so we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship and we're gonna hear the gospel this morning and we're gonna grieve and we're gonna lament and we're gonna rejoice. We're gonna do it all. I hope, Lord willing. So I'm gonna pray and you guys can pray for me. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm try to keep myself in check this morning. Gracious God, we affirm that you are good, that you are right, that you are gracious, you are everything you say you are in your word, and you are not who we think you are. You're not like us. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that this morning. You would speak to your people. You would call us out of darkness Call us out of complacency. Call us out of a fear. Call us out of anger. Call us out of whatever place that we're in that's not right before you and call us into the freedom that you give us as believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we look to you for our hope this morning. Would you think through my mind, I'm a sinner. I need your help this morning. Speak through my vocal cords. Let your people hear your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. They got me a towel this week. I was grossing everybody out last week. Felt like I was back in the wrestling room. I think I lost about six pounds. So they got me, one of, they got me a bishop towel up here. I ain't afraid to use it either. I need Joel on the, I might need Joel to come up here. Somebody come up here and get on the keyboard. That might be what I need this morning. All right, let's jump into it. Now listen, for the past few weeks, if you haven't been with us, we've been studying how God changes self-centered sinners, that's who we are at birth, that's who we are by nature, into people who look more like Jesus. So God's not rescuing good people and making them better. He's, make, he's rescuing dead people and making them alive and new. He's taking sinners and turning them into God-centered saints. In verses 12 through 16... Paul shows us that God makes us new by his grace. And then after that, there's some attributes we are to, quote, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Let me read that text one more time because it's so good. We can't get enough of it. Verse 12, if you're with me in your Bible app or in your Bible, put on, I'm sorry, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Or in other words, because you are holy, beloved, and chosen, act like this, compassionate hearts, willing to suffer with people who don't think like you. Kindness. Humility, the ability to think more about somebody else than about my own self. Meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. That means carrying the burden of somebody else. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here it is. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Can I just say that this is what our world desperately needs right now. We need people who have compassionate hearts. They can suffer with people that they don't even understand their experience, but they can suffer with them. They can grieve with them. People who are ruled by kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. People who can bear with one another. People who can love someone and be in a life-giving relationship with them without agreeing with everything they say or do. Our world desperately needs people who are more ruled by love, love for God and love for our neighbor than we are by our political affiliation by the color of our skin, by the income bracket that we've made our way into, that our world is in chaos, that our country is in chaos, and we need to be peacemakers that Jesus has made us into. Paul said in verse 15, let the peace of Christ that rules in your heart, let, let it rule in your heart to which you've been called into one body. Paul here is telling Christians, he's saying this, the church, the house of God, the body of Christ, there's some house rules. There's some house rules that belong to the house, right? We all have house rules. And the house rules are we are to be peacemakers. Now I've got house rules. We've all got house rules. And in my home, we've got a large framed poster that hangs on the wall with our family mission statement or motto, here's what, here's what ours says. It says this, in our home, we laugh loudly and love deeply. We work diligently, we pray constantly, we repent humbly, we speak honestly, we forgive graciously, we encourage, encourage lovingly, we worship passionately, we study joyfully, we give generously, we serve cheerfully, all because of Jesus. Now, I admit this is not the best motto because it's a little long, but it does a pretty good job of listing off some of the attributes that we want to define our family, some of our house rules. And we are working through one of these short phrases each night um, at dinner, and it's created some good moments of discussion for Amanda and I as parents, and it gives our kids a good target to shoot for. Like we can now say, are you encouraging graciously, right? Or are you encouraging lovingly? Are you forgiving graciously? Are you working diligently? It's really cute when your youngest child, you know, I'm working diligently, dad. It's pretty cute when they use big words like that, right? 
But honestly, the most important statement of the entire thing comes at the very end. When I wrote, we do all of this all because of Jesus. Here's what I wanted to get across with that statement. None of what we as parents are asking our kids to do is going to be possible for them without Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? First, Jesus shows us what each of these characteristics, attributes look like in real life. I'm not asking them to consider themselves gracious. Don't consider yourself a hard worker. No, no, no. Let's look to Jesus and see how Jesus did these things. Jesus is our example. See, Jesus worked diligently. Jesus encouraged lovingly. Jesus forgives graciously. In this way, Jesus is meant to be our moral exemplar. He shows us literally what human perfection looks like so that we can shape our lives and our loves after him, so that we can emulate him, so we could look like him. Now, as you're thinking about that, Jesus was more than good. He was more than nice. He was more than moral. You go and you read the interactions that Jesus had with promiscuous, immoral woman like the woman at the well or a or a man like Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner, the worst of the worst in his society, or the parables that he told, right, about the good Samaritan where all the religious good folk walked by the person who was busted up in the street, assuming, oh, they're probably a criminal. Oh, they probably did something to deserve it. Oh, we should just get all the facts before we make any judgments about this person. I'll just go back home and pray for him. And Jesus condemned them and instead the other, the outsider, the Samaritan who wasn't even accepted in the house of God did the right thing and grieved and stepped into the mess and took the person home and paid for their health care. Jesus, that's what his life looked like. That's part of the message that he taught. That's what Christians should be emulating. But if Jesus is only our exemplar, he will crush us. He will crush us with his impossible standard. We'll never live up to that big brother. His perfect example will only I mean, it might inspire us for a moment, but as soon as you try and try and try and fail and fail and fail, you'll be crushed under a mountain of despair. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says this, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, listen, wisdom from God. Jesus became to us wisdom from God. That means Jesus shows us what it looks like to live a wise life, to be wise. We can look at him and see a beautiful example of a perfectly lived life. And we can say, I need to live like that. But listen, let me go on. He became to us wisdom from God. There it is. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
We see in this text, listen, that Jesus is more than just our example. He's more than just the wisdom of God. He's also our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. So Jesus, yes, he does show us what human perfection looks like and we should emulate him, but he doesn't He wasn't perfect just to show us what perfection looked like. He was perfect to please God for us in our place. So now Jesus literally is our righteousness. We become righteous in him. He stood in our place and secured for us forever the eternal smile of God. So now we are not trying to imitate or emulate Jesus in order to procure the blessing of God. No, Jesus has already secured God's blessing for us. We now love God because he first loved us. But Jesus is also here our sanctification. Now sanctification is a $10 word that means to become more like Jesus and every aspect of who we are. See, justification is a one-time act of God that forgives us of our sins and makes us eternally right with God. But sanctification is, listen, is the process where Christians become progressively more and more and more like Jesus. The way we think becomes more and more like Jesus, the way he thought. Listen, our emotions, the way we respond to things, becomes more and more and more shaped by Jesus. The way that we love people becomes more and more and more shaped by Jesus rather than our other ways of being formed. And of course, our behavior becomes to look more and more and more like Jesus. This is the big word, sanctification. See, so when I wrote at the end of my family motto, we're going to do all these things all because of Jesus, I meant that there is no way we can do this. There's no way we can live like this without a vital connection to Jesus, our sanctification, or Jesus, our sanctifier. That we will not be growing into The image of Jesus will not be growing into people that look more and more like Jesus unless we have, we are walking with him on a daily basis. And what do you mean by that? I am only able to forgive others graciously as I experience and enjoy Jesus's gracious forgiveness of my many sins. Only when I feel Jesus' grace towards me will I be gracious to others. See, Jesus isn't just our example to emulate. He's also, let me say it this way, he's the engine that drives all of our growth in grace. So Paul writes here in our text today in verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is Paul's 
all because of Jesus' statement for the house rules that are to rule the Christian. Now I want to break down that verse 17 in three sections. Kind of naturally breaks down like that. First, you can see the first part there. Whatever you do in word or deed. Now, this is a phrase that is meant to depict all of our life. It includes everything we say, everything we do, the reasons behind what we say and do. Jesus told us our words and our actions flow out of what's in our hearts. Whatever you say and whatever you do, it includes your thoughts, it includes your feelings, it includes what you post on social media. Whatever you do. So it's important for us to note here, Jesus isn't just interested in some small fraction of your life. That you just stick a Christian bumper sticker right along all of your political bumper stickers, all along, all, everything else that defines you, just stick Jesus along with it. He's not interested in some spiritual or religious part of you only. No, to come to Christ is to bring your whole, the whole of your soul to him, the whole of your life, the whole of your existence. The Christian has surrendered everything to the lordship of Jesus and now everything we say and do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus Christ or in the name of someone? Two things. One, it means to do something under their authority with their blessing. It means you're empowered to do something. And it also means to do something in line with their values and not contrary to do them, right? Not contrary to the values. So if you work, let me say this, if you work for John Deere and you've been called to go to another country and work out a deal with them and negotiate, you go with their authority. More than likely, you're wearing a John Deere name tag or a shirt or a hat or whatever. You're stepping in the authority and you're walking in the authority of John Deere. However... That is not just a blanket authority, right? You don't get to go in there with a swagger and just start bossing people around, right? Or getting, snapping your fingers and whatever your wish is, it's their command, right? No, you have an authority. You've been empowered by John Deere to go to negotiate, but you only have that authority to accomplish their mission in a way that is in line with their values. So it is for the Christian, To be a Christian is to be empowered by Jesus with his authority and blessing and and our lives and our values are to be defined by Jesus. That means we are to follow Jesus' example in all things, right? We represent his values, his love, his example to the world, but we can only do that if he is actually in us, if we are actually empowered by him to accomplish it. Now, Many of you might not know this, but today is actually Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is a word that's derived from the Greek word Pentecost day that literally means 50th. 
which stood for the festival celebrated on the 50th day after Passover in the Old Testament. But it was, in, it was on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament where the, it was the occasion of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples of Jesus, 50 days after the, the ascension of Jesus, of the resurrection of Jesus, an event which marked the beginning of the church in Acts chapter two. See, this was the day where the believers, the Christians were empowered by God to accomplish his mission. On that first post-resurrection Pentecost Sunday, God the Father and Jesus the glorified Son sent the promised third member of the Trinity to fill God's people to accomplish his mission in the world. If you are in Christ, you have been empowered by Jesus. You have been called by Jesus not to live for your own self-serving, not to live for your own selfish desires, not just to build a great career and a great family and live in a great, a great neighborhood. You've been called by Jesus Christ and filled with his spirit to accomplish his reconciling mission in this world, in this city, in your neighborhood, in this church. You wear the name of Christ. You've been filled with the spirit of Christ. You're sent on a mission. Now listen, this is one of the realities that makes Christianity so distinct and unique among all the world religions and especially distinct from secularism. Following Jesus and being a Christian isn't just conforming to a set of beliefs and behaviors. No, it's being empowered by God himself to live like Jesus on mission. Now, why is that good news? Well, every other worldview out there looks at some standard some expert, some guru, some leader, and basically says, live like this or else. But the way of Jesus is different. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says this. Take my yoke upon you, which means come under my burden, come follow my ways, come be under my tent Come be inside my people, in my family, in my body. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, listen to this, gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The only time in scripture where Jesus declares to us, the son of God declares to us, what he's like in the heart. And he doesn't say, I'm mighty. I'm glorious. I'm powerful. I'm just. I'm true. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He's gentle means he's not combative. 
He's not angry. He's not pugnacious. Does Jesus get angry? Absolutely. But it's not his heart. It's not his set. It's not what he's set on. It's not his disposition. That means we, we do not need to fear Jesus. Even when we've sinned against him, he will not lash out at us if we come to him for mercy because Jesus is gentle. Christians, do we value gentleness? Do we value gentleness in our leaders? In our president? Secondly, he's lowly in heart. Lowly in heart. Jesus is humble. There's never been a man more humble than Jesus Christ, the king of all glory that would put on human flesh and move to the backside of the globe and live unknown and unrecognized for 30 years in poverty. And then would willingly take our place and die the death that he, di he died. Jesus knows what it feels like to be us. He knows what it feels like to live in a society that isn't just. And don't think this morning, if you don't know me or you're new here, that I'm some kind of, you know, America hater because I think this is the best country on the face of the planet that has ever existed, but, it's, but we still have work to do. That give, listen, Jesus knows what it, like, what it was like to live in a society that gave some people preferential treatment because of their skin color or where they grew up, their nationality, their neighborhood. Do you know what they said of Jesus when he started his ministry? What, what, what? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus knows He's humble. He's lowly in heart. And third, Jesus is gracious, not exacting. Many of us think that Jesus is hard to please. He's not. Jesus is gracious. His mercy is new every morning. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He's patient. Now listen, here's my idea. Here's my thoughts. Here's what I think Paul's saying right here from this text. <clears throat> when a person experiences Jesus like he really is, gentle, humble, gracious, and the spirit that is gentle, humble, and gracious comes into their heart, that spirit begins to rearrange the values that, they, that used to rule them. And they begin to be changed from the inside out by the gentleness, 
the humility and the graciousness of Jesus and the heart response of a Christian who has spent time with Jesus, who has been filled by Jesus and changed by Jesus, the heart response of that person is thankfulness. Look in our text. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus grieve? How would Jesus mourn? How would Jesus walk with? How would Jesus fight against? How would Jesus do everything in the name of Jesus? And then what? <clears throat> and then what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's interesting to me. This means here that the life of the Christian is driven far more from delight than duty. The, the behavior, the emotions, the actions, the life of the Christian is driven more from thankfulness than drudgery. From pleasure, not guilt. From forgiveness, not shame. From the joy of the Lord and not sadness. And that's what it means to do everything, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it with his spirit. Do it in line with his values. Do it empowered by his humility, gentleness, and grace. And listen to me. If you're like me, and you say, yes, do it, but then you look at your life and go, oh, but I'm terrible at that. We've all got our natural personalities, our natural dispositions, the way we naturally respond to things. And if you know the Enneagram, big surprise, I'm an, I'm an Enneagram 8, and so every, I just want to tackle everything and wrestle it. It's my, that's my first response. Get aggressive, push back, fight. And then Jesus says, whoa, bucko. Gentleness, humility. So when we fall short, what do we do? We don't mope around in guilt. We don't. Listen, when we fall short and we sin, and we respond, whether it be in person or on Facebook, out of pride and combativeness and a critical spirit that so easily sees all the negative in people in the world. What do we do? We repent. We turn around. We turn back to the gentle and lowly Jesus and we come and receive grace. That's what we need in that moment. We don't need to put another article up to prove that we are right and they're wrong. We don't need to justify it. We need to repent. We need to own it and go back to Jesus for what we need. We need more grace. 
press in and go, now this is how he speaks to me. He might not speak to you like this if you get offended by things like this. Come here, moron. Come here. Come here. You're my moron and I love you. Come here, moron. Come here. That's what he said. Maybe not literally, but that's how I experience it, right? Like our natural responses need to come under his spirit, but we in the midst of screwing up, maybe we're feeling guilty for staying, staying silent for too long. What do we need? Come here. Come here. Come to Jesus. We need more grace. Maybe we need forgiveness for lashing out, for putting our head in the sand. Whatever it is, what do we need? Come to Jesus for grace. Experience the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the kindness, and that's how you're going to have the reserves necessary, the reservoir necessary to give grace to others, to pursue justice, Be kind and to walk humbly. Turn around and come back to the gentle and lowly Jesus and receive the grace that you so desperately need and that you've lost sight of. Receive that grace again and give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. We will never know how gentle and how lowly and how patient and kind he is until we get to glory. I pray this morning <laughs> we would be both provoked, provoked to repentance, and we'll also be reverentially drawn in to worship Jesus. He's truly so much better than us. He's more than just our example. He's also our redemption and our sanctification and our righteousness. And that's what we celebrate every single week when we come to the Lord's table. This big gathering isn't a gathering of how great we are. That's why we repent every single week. This gathering is a gathering of how great Jesus is and how much we need him. And so I pray that you would come spiritually hungry to the table, hungry for more grace, hungry for more of Jesus. And he meets us here, look, with open hands. We come humbly to Jesus and Jesus doesn't look at us and go, you were here last week. He doesn't slap our hands away like we've had one too many snacks. No, 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 Jesus recognizes we need more grace. We need more of him. Week in, week out, day in, day out, hour by hour. And so I pray this morning you would be provoked to repentance. And as a Christian, you would come to the table just with your hands out and the elders would take the body and the blood of Christ who died the death that you deserve. His blood covers all your sins, who, who's earned for you your eternal reward. And he, you would once again be tangibly presented with grace in your hands. And you would enjoy it this morning and you would say, thank God for Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your work of grace. Jesus, I thank you for being to us better than we deserve. Kind, gentle, lowly, humble in heart. We never can get too much of that. And I pray that you would give rest to our souls this morning. 
Pray that you would speak to your people. You'd bring them to repentance. And repentance wouldn't be something we do in drudgery or fear or reluctance, but in joy that we can do something with our sin. We can unload ourselves. We can take our guilt and our shame off of our own consciousness and put it on the conscience of Jesus. Put it on, put it literally in our minds on the cross of Christ where Jesus Christ dealt with it there. And we can once again by faith receive the righteousness of Jesus that makes us new. And we can be empowered to walk out of here today determined to live as your emissaries, as your representatives, empowered to live like you in our city. Jesus, I pray that you would do all this for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.